I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a weekly podcast produced by Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, CURE. SUDEP, Sudden Unexpected Death in Epilepsy, is finally receiving the attention it deserves. This is an issue that is near and dear to CURE, we were one of the early advocates for SUDEP research, thanks to the efforts of board members Jean Donnelly and Gardner Laffham. Our guest today, Tom Stanton, continues the fight as the executive director of Danny Did and is all too familiar with SUDEP after it took the life of his four-year-old nephew, Danny, for whom the organization is named. Thank you, Tom, so much for joining us today to talk about this incredibly vital topic. Yeah, thanks for having me here. I'm really <clears throat> excited to talk about it. Tell us about Danny. Yeah, so Danny is the reason that we're here, you know, in this epilepsy community. Danny was my nephew, my brother Mike's uh, third child of four kids. So he had an older brother, Mary Grace, uh, older brother Johnny, and then Danny was the third, and his younger brother Tommy. So incredibly close family, um, grew up on the northwest side of Chicago in the neighborhood of Edgebrook. And Danny was just a great kid, really funny, uh, lively. Um, ran around everywhere with his older brother John, uh, his best friend, and uh, it's hard to uh, think of the family even today without Danny a part of it, um, but he was uh, just the, the mayor of his block. You know, he had friends that were, um, you know, the adult neighbors and, and his brother's crew, uh, his kids his age. He was just a, a great kid. He loved sports. Um, he loved to act. He was in a play acting class one day a week. I love it. Yeah, so he was a really, a really lively, funny kid. And when was he diagnosed with epilepsy? So he had his first seizure uh, right around age two. And like a lot of families, it totally came out of nowhere. And his parents were frightened. Uh, all of Danny's seizures happened while he was sleeping. And so at that first seizure, it was a mad rush to the hospital, to the ER. And like a lot of families we've come to know, um, you know, they left there feeling really uncertain about what had just happened, what was next, what resources did they have. But at that point, uh, Danny was not put on medication. He was just uh, sent home and said, sometimes this happens. It could be a one-off situation. Until it isn't. Uh, until it isn't, you know. And, and so... He had his next seizure about uh, six months later. And then over the course of about two and a half years, he had four seizures that his parents witnessed, um, all during sleep. So a relatively low number, but mm -hmm. looking back now, they always wondered if there were some that they had missed. Um, you know, Danny spent a time sleeping with his mom and dad uh, in their room, which is pretty common, you know, just the, the fear of missing a seizure or having your child be alone during that vulnerable state, you know, when everybody is uh, asleep is really scary. And so he slept with them for a period. Uh, after the second seizure, he was put on medication and then went back into his own room. But it was this constant process of bed checks and mom and dad taking turns and um, just never really any rest or peace at night. So, um, you know, fast forward for Danny to uh, December of 2009, He'd gone to the doctor on a Tuesday morning and by all accounts was on a good path. Um, they had increased his medication level uh, slightly due to weight gain. But basically the message was, you're, you're heading in a good direction. Stay on this path. Uh, so they left there feeling really uh, hopeful. And um, 
four days later on a Saturday morning, um, his mom went into his room. He shared a, Danny shared a bunk bed with his older brother, John. And she went in to check on him in the morning, and, and he, was, he was gone. And uh, it was, you know, a morning I'll never forget. Um, you know, I was, at the time, I was coaching high school basketball, and we had a really early morning practice that day. Um, and I remember leaving practice at about 8 o'clock, and I had maybe four or five missed calls from my brother Mike. And I thought, that's really unusual, you know, for this time of the day on a Saturday. And, and finally we talked, and, and you know, all he could spit out was, you know, Danny's gone. So it was just, <clears throat> excuse me, it was just a, a moment that we'll never forget. And I know, you know, for me, what struck me about those, that message was just the finality of it. You know, there was no turning back. There was no fixing it. And um, we have a really strong family, and we've obviously rallied around uh, as much as we can just to be present. You know, I think that's the biggest thing is just when tragedy strikes, it's just to be present. You know, whether you know what to say or not, just to be there. So that's what we tried to do. Um, but... It has since launched, you know, a movement that, that Mike and Marianne started that we're really proud of coming in on 10 years now with the Danny Did Foundation. And, um, you know, with Danny and with a lot of parents we met, they had never heard of the risk of SUDA. So um, that is a, a huge, it was a huge blind spot for them, mm -hmm. you know, to not know this is one possible outcome. And as parents, we're responsible for our kids. And if we're not empowered with all the information that we need, we can't mitigate those risks. We came into the epilepsy community and, you know, only two, two and a half years ago. And so our family has already benefited from the incredible work um, that Danny did has done and the awareness raised by Cure as well that we were aware of SUDEP very early on. And, um, you know, on behalf of all of the other families, we're so incredibly grateful for all the work that you guys have done. What is SUDEP? The acronym stands for Sudden Unexpected Death in Epilepsy. And what causes it, why it happens to certain people and not others, is really still being studied. But um, typically, a case of SUDEP occurs after a, a seizure that happens during sleep. So oftentimes, when there's a case of SUDEP, the person is found in bed in the morning, like Danny was. There's usually an autopsy that rules out other causes of death. So. Within epilepsy, you know, there are certain types of mortality that affect our community. SUDEP is this unknown cause for people with epilepsy that is still being studied and, and trying to figure out what are the mechanisms. Um, is it something to do with the heart? Is it something to do with the brain? Is it something to do with respiration? And I think as a, just as a layperson who's been kind of trying to stay as informed as I can over the past 10 years, ultimately it's probably some combination thereof and it might be slightly different for every person that, that is struck by it. But finding out exactly what causes this, how can we find benchmarks or things that will help us reduce the risk is really important. And that's why research done by Cure and others in our community is vital, you know, to, to keep pressing and, and finding out what exactly causes these deaths. There's a couple things that sort of come to my mind immediately. And one is that I don't think the general public realizes, you know, that people can die from seizures. It's just that I, I don't think that that is common knowledge. Um, and so, which I think is, is an incredible message that needs to get out into the public, that this is a life-threatening condition. 
The other piece of this from coming within the community is, I mean, I remember sitting across from Adelaide's neurologist and after she had had her first seizure and the neurologist not being able to tell us why, not being able to give us a defined treatment and how frustrating that was. Now being on the other side of that and finding out that your child has lost their life to this and not being able to understand why they were taken. I mean, it's shocking in this day and age that we understand so little. To that end, what research is being done? What advancements are being made? So over the last 10 years, there's been a, a, a big increase in research around SUDEP. And, and we can go way back to the 90s when CURE was funding grants around SUDEP and was one of the only organizations really in that space. Thankfully, you know, more has, has happened and, and there's, there's some progress. So there's something called the Centers for SUDEP Research, which is a 14-site uh, trial that started in 2013, I believe, and it ends in 2019. It's $27 million grant from uh, the National Institutes of Health. And a really, for, for epilepsy, a, a big deal. You know, not what we need. There's more that we need in terms of funding at the federal level, but this is one of the biggest uh, grants for SUDEP research. So uh, a doctor by the name of Sam Latou has been heading that up with, um, with several others, researchers. And so that's, that's ongoing, and, and hopefully we'll, you know, put out some important information that we can really get down all the way to families because research is important, but at the end of the day, we need to have a conversation between a doctor and a patient that says, hey, Kelly, here's what we found out based on this research, and here's what you can do, what we can do for, for better treatments for Adelaide to kind of make that full loop connection. And are you finding that that's happening more and more, that the doctors are having those conversations with their patients? You know, I wish I could say it was happening more, honestly. Um, I think at some levels, at the specialist level, epileptologists, it is a more common thing. Um, there's been a lot of studies around how many parents want to hear about the risk of SUDEP. Obviously, it's a lot to digest, but typically it's in the 90 to 98% range of parents that do want to be informed. And as a parent, I can certainly appreciate wanting to know an outcome that serious is possible for my child. You know, if you look into other disease states like cancer or other things that have death as a possible outcome, it's common practice for the provider to say, here's the prognosis and, and this is the range of possible outcomes. And that's what patients and parents, caregivers within epilepsy deserve, that honesty. So I, I, it's a really big part of what the Danny Did Foundation has faced as a challenge, is, is, is improving that communication between providers and caregivers or adult patients around this risk. Typically, surveys show that around 30% of doctors do communicate the risk. Now, that will increase within certain populations that are at higher risk for SUDEP, such as Dravet syndrome or mm -hmm. Lennox-Gastro syndrome. But for kids like Danny, you know, who are controlled, it's typically not mentioned um, by a doctor still. So that's where the work that advocates do, like the Epilepsy Foundation, like the Danny Did Foundation, like Cure, bringing that message directly to, to families and patients is, is critical. So let's bring that message to families. Who is at the highest risk for SUDEP? The two highest risks for SUDEP are uh, uncontrolled seizures. So people with refractory epilepsy are at heightened risk. And then people who have tonic-clonic seizures. So 
Danny had tonic-clonic seizures during sleep. So that put him at high risk. He, his seizures were not uncontrolled, but they, they occurred during sleep and they were convulsive in nature. So um, those are the two biggest risk factors. And so we think about how do we mitigate or lessen risk, you know, controlling seizures is number one. Um, you know, I always say just awareness and education is a simple way that we collectively as a community can, can try to mitigate or lessen this risk. Just letting people know, like you said, seizures can be fatal. Uh, yeah. it's, it's not something that we want to, you know, shout from the mountaintops to a mom or dad who just faced their first seizure necessarily, but it's got to be within that safety conversation when we're talking about Okay, there's issues to be aware of related to bathing or mm -hmm. when you're, uh, you know, at the pool swimming or when you're exercising, uh, if your child is old enough to drive. There's this whole range of, of, of risk and safety issues that we talk about. And our position at Danny Did is to couch the suit up conversation into that uh, safety talk. We really, we can't leave that risk out of the conversation anymore. It's, it's just too, too much of a blind spot. Uh, for parents or patients to, to have. It's, it's not fair to them. So what, what else can, can parents or uh, caregivers, patients, what can they do aside from, you know, obviously being aware, um, you know, trying to get seizure control, which for some people is not going to happen. What, what else can, can they do? So a big thing is treatment adherence, you know, making sure you're, you're staying on top of of whatever treatment is for you most commonly that's medication so if you know if this is a, a motivator for a child who is going off to college and, and, and might be you know thinking okay my lifestyle is going to change I'm not having the same structure I had you know knowing about the risk of SUDEP can be a very real motivator which I want to point out in you saying that you know a, a a child going off to college that, you know, SUDEP, while Danny was a child, SUDEP can affect anybody and everybody, yeah. regardless of their age. So this is this is not just a pediatric risk. This is also can be for grown adults as right. well. Yeah. No, unfortunately, we've met many spouses who have lost their spouse or sibling who are adults to SUDEP. So it, it's not an age-specific uh risk. It's, it's uh, kids to the elderly. Um, but, but treatment adherence is really important. Whatever that means for, for your loved one, staying on top of that. Um, we think early intervention during a seizure is really important. So Danny, like I said, only had nocturnal seizures. Mm -hmm. So considering monitoring options that can alert mom or dad or caregiver or spouse that a seizure is ongoing, especially during sleep, um, just having someone present in the room is really can be a big advantage for the person seizing. So you go in, maybe the person is, is their airway is wedged into a pillow, or maybe they've fallen out of bed, or maybe you find them unresponsive, and you've got an opportunity to act. Um, whether or not you know Danny would be alive if we used if his parents used a monitoring device, we'll never know. But certainly they would have loved to have that chance to be there and to take every opportunity to get to them as quickly as possible. So we're big advocates for monitoring and alerting systems that can enable early intervention when a seizure happens. And where could uh, someone find these monitoring devices? Because I know, so, you know, just having a, you know, seizures can be silent. You're not necessarily going to hear something. So, you know, a typical baby monitor may not, may not work. What, what options are out there and how can someone find them? 
So there is, over the last 10 years, there's been a lot of activity in this space. Um, devices and technologies related to epilepsy have really evolved over time. So one of the functions that Danny did is to help families or adult patients to walk through what's out there, you know, from basic movement monitors to uh, wristwatches that can monitor for movement or skin perspiration. Um, there's systems that look at heart rate variants. Um, it, you really have to align uh, the system with the type of seizure that your that your loved one is facing. So, a big part of what we do is just setting it, helping families set expectations. You know, they come to us very excited about a certain system and and trying to help them talk through and think through. Does this align with our reality? Are these seizures designed to be um, captured or alerted to by this system? And you know. It, Ultimately, what we want, so initially it's monitoring, and then you, you want a system that alerts. But ultimately, what would be great is something that can have that closed loop and have an intervention built in. You know, So there's a, a therapy that's delivered, and maybe you, you even suppress the seizure. Mm -hmm. um, there are implanted systems like VNS that are designed to do that. Um, but in the wearable space, you know, external devices, they're, they're not there yet. Um, we spend a lot of time tracking what's in the pipeline, what's coming along. All of these things are, are pieces that we can help with as a foundation, as advocates, to help let, let our community know what's out there and, and walk through what are the best options for them. Now, are statistics available to you? Can you see that within the last 10 years there has been a reduction in the number of, of SUDEP deaths? Can you, um, with the, the awareness that has been raised with the devices, are, are we seeing a decline? I would say statistics within SUDEP are really tricky because one primary reason is because a lot of coroners and medical examiners don't know what SUDEP is. So at the time of death, they're, they're not necessarily captured as a case of SUDEP. And so our numbers, we always think they're underestimated. Um, there's an effort at uh, New York University led by Dr. Oren Davinsky called the North American SUDEP Registry. And Danny did as a partner to that. Cure is a partner to that. Um, it's basically trying to capture every case of SUDEP to get the, the, the history. You know, what happened before? What was this person's, you know, uh, volume or journey with seizures? And in addition to that, if they, they try to collect brain tissue as well, if the timing allows. Oh, wow. So um, it's a really critical uh, piece of uh, research um, to try to, to get a more accurate count on how often this happens. The accepted kind of numbers that are used currently are uh, one in 1,000 people with controlled seizures um, will, are will die from SUDEP. And that increases to one in 150 people with uncontrolled seizures. Oh my word. So it's a huge difference. And that talking point is really important for our community to be aware of. Um, it's a lot to digest and it's, 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 um, it's frightening, frankly, to think about. I wasn't aware that it was that, the statistics were that high. There was a new guideline put out last year in 2017 from the American Academy of Neurology in partnership with the American Epilepsy Society. And for the first time ever, they put out a practice guideline on SUDEP. So there's, let's say, four or five, 6,000 neurologists, and they are, in theory, going to adhere to these practice guidelines. And so for the first time, there was a recommendation that they talk with all patients about the risk of SUDEP. 
My mind is blown that this is just so recent that these sort of guidelines are just coming out. I mean, epilepsy has been recorded since, you know, the beginning of human yeah. time. Biblical like, times. Right, right yeah. like, and we're just now yeah. making recommendations to clinicians to talk to their patients yeah. about this. Which I think really tells, paints the scope of what we've been up against, you know, over time is just, there's been such a hesitation to bring up this topic. And the reasons to us don't really matter. The history doesn't really matter. We need to, to, ch to change and adapt and, and just serve our community better. You know, we, it, it's, it's really been maddening over the years to see such resistance. But this guideline was a step forward. Yeah, um, It would have been written differently if it was written by advocates and, and more strongly, I think. But for what it was, it's a step forward. And so we try to talk about that and leverage that within the medical community, the provider community. So where do you see the future of SUDEP awareness and advocacy and research? What is, what is Danny Did's ultimate goal here? It all comes back to that, uh, to that point of eliminating seizures. Um, but when my brother started the foundation, he had a vision for how, you know, a new generation impacted by epilepsy would be treated and have a different standard of care. You know, so you have a first seizure, you go for your doctor's visit, and you have information about the whole range of risks that come with epilepsy. And you have a suite of, of products or interventions that could alert you during a seizure and hopefully work to suppress the seizure. So in other disease states, we see these similar options that are presented to people who are new to a, to a, a medical challenge. And so developing those in epilepsy is, is kind of where we see this going. It's really important that we encourage that R&D from companies that have an interest yes. in this space to stick with it, you know, to stay in this world um, so that the outcomes for our patients become better. The other thing that's so critical, as you know, uh, is the research, you know, just driving that forward. And how does that happen? Primarily through stories, you know, letting the supporters know whether they're at the federal level, whether they're private donors, there are real families impacted. There are people lost. There are lives altered dramatically every day by epilepsy. You know, one in 26 Americans is an astounding figure that will develop epilepsy. So driving that research forward is a major major factor in getting to the, the point of, you know, curing epilepsy and ultimately, you know, preventing deaths caused by seizures. Where does the name of the organization Danny Did come from? I think it's just, I, I, I love the sentiment behind that. Yeah, so Danny, when he passed, my brother Mike wrote his obituary, Danny's dad, and um, the last line that he wrote was, please go and enjoy your life, Danny Did. And, and that really captures what we try to be about um, you know, just that joy for living every day, for taking nothing for granted, uh, for embracing the people around you. You know, Danny was a hugger, and uh, we try to have that, that vibe and that aura around the work that we do to, to just enjoy today, to, to enjoy the people around you. Um, Danny did. Where can people go to learn more about Danny did? They've, they've heard your story, they've heard, and they want to they wanna learn more, they want, they want to help. Yeah, so the best way is our website, which is dannydid.org. Um, we try to speak in really plain language, you know, family to family, parent to parent. Um, our goal is kind of digest everything that we take in and, and put it out in a way that's just really approachable. So dannydid.org is our website. Well, I can 
I can say as, as a parent, as a caregiver, as an advocate, you know, our family is beyond grateful for all of the work that you and Danny's parents and, and the rest of the Danny did family have, have done to, to raise the awareness and to be out there pushing advocacy. And, you know, this is, this is a tough topic. Yeah. You know, this is not, not something that you want to be sitting around talking about every day, but you guys are, and, and it really means the world to the rest of us. So thank you so much for being with us today, for talking about this, for sharing your experience, and to continue to, to push SUDEP out into the world. Thank you. Yeah, we're happy to have the chance to do it. And, and if I could, just, just to say thank you to, to people like Gene Donnelty and Gardner Lapham yes. who were there when, when Danny died and they were out there trying to, to spread the message of suit up awareness and the, for, the forefront of getting this out there and, and, and the bravery it took for my brother and his wife to join that movement and to try to advance it. You know, the credit goes to them. The credit goes to my colleague, Mary Duffy, who's out there talking to families every day. Um, people I really admire and respect for the work that they're doing and, and to you and your family for having the courage to make your fight public means a lot to us and has elevated the whole movement as well. So thank you for that. Thank you. The stories you heard today are devastating and a strong reminder of why we cannot relent on the fight against SUDEP. We must battle on by continuing to learn more and educate others. If you have additional questions about the latest research on reducing the risk of SUDEP for someone you love or yourself, subscribe to our research alerts at seizinglife.org forward slash SUDEP. Finally, if you know someone or the caregiver of someone who is at risk of SUDEP, please share this episode with them. Through awareness and education, we can do our part to minimize some of the SUDEP risk factors one person at a time. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CURE. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. CURE strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical condition be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.